Talk is Jericho. It is the pot of thunder and rock and roll. And today it's all about aliens, the Illuminati, the occult, and the new world order. Isaac Weishaupt from IlluminatiWatcher.com and the Conspiracy Theories and Unpopular Culture podcast returns to Talk is Jericho to talk about his two latest books, Aliens, UFOs, and the Occult, Use Your Illusion 1 and Use Your Illusion 2. Isaac explains how aliens and UFOs are part of a secret hidden agenda to bring about a new age of mankind. Very creepy stuff. It's all part of the occult belief system, and members of the occult, like Aleister Crowley and Jack Parsons, have been making contact with aliens for years. Humans may actually already have alien DNA in their bodies. Isaac cites examples of how Hollywood, through movies, has been employed to prepare the subconscious of the masses to accept this new religion of the new world order. He talks about the hidden messages in movies like E.T., Shark Boy and Lava Girl, and the John Carpenter Apocalypse Trilogy. He describes Project Mockingbird and Project Bluebeam, how the CIA and the Pentagon factor into both, the role that 5G and technology are already playing in setting up this new world order, and where Lucifer and Satan fit into this picture. Very creepy, fascinating stuff. But if you want to dive in deeper after you listen to the show today, then order Isaac's books. They're both available at Amazon and at IlluminatiWatcher.com, I-L-L-U-M-I-N-A-T-I-Watcher.com. Let's get into this. Aliens, UFOs, the occult, and Hollywood on Talk is Jericho. All right, so um, one of the shows that we did earlier this year that was got a huge reaction was a show about the Illuminati. Isaac uh, Weishaupt is back to talk about something completely uh, even more crazy than the Illuminati uh, based on his Use Your Illusion books. But first of all, we know that Isaac is not exactly your real name. So fill us in again where you got the pseudonym from. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for having me back on again. Uh, huge honor for me. I'm talking to a legend here. I can't believe it. Yes. <laughs> you know, Chris Jericho, I've done a lot of shows. I've done a lot of podcasts. No, but um, this is the one that <laughs> I told my wife this morning. I said, I can't believe I have anxiety. I've done so many podcasts. You know, Dave Navarro, Richard Hoagland, big shows. Uh, this is the first one that got me up in the middle of the night thinking, oh, my God. I'm immensely cooler than Dave, than Dave Navarro. <laughs> I, can t- I can tell you that right now. I agree. <laughs> yeah, but anyways, thanks for having me back on. Uh, the name, Isaac Weinstop, is obviously not my real name. It's a pseudonym as a play on the founder of the Bavarian Illuminati, Adam Weishaupt, which, in hindsight, terrible, terrible idea. Anyone who, you know, and, and back when I started this journey in 2011, I was blogging, writing books. I started podcasting in 2014, and I had absolutely zero intentions of this ever gaining any sort of traction whatsoever. I've got a master's degree in systems engineering. I was going that route of the dreaded day job. Yeah, long story short, I chose a, because my website was is IlluminatiWatcher.com, and I decided to come up with a name based on the I and the W. And and here we are 10 years later, and I'm constantly defending and telling people I'm not in the Illuminati. I'm not a disinformation agent. Well, the thing is, though, what you are is you do definitely uh, elicit a lot of food for thought. And like we said, the Illuminati show was very interesting and, and, and very mind-blowing on so many different accounts. But you actually reached out to me a few months ago to talk about your your books, which, of course, a uh, nice little play on words on the Guns N' Roses records, Use Your Illusion. Kind of fill me in on what Usual Illusion 1 and 2 is about, 
because there is a lot to unpack talking about all these subjects that we're about to get into here. Definitely. There are, and I can give a sort of 50,000 foot explanation for what I'm talking about in these two books. Basically, to me, aliens, they're not a new phenomenon, UFOs and all that. And a lot of people agree with that. There's obviously been people paying attention to this for many years. But I argue that this goes back much further into human history, and it ties into the practices of the occult, which is a Latin term for hidden. Mm. And that just so happens to be the swim lane that I've, I've been swimming in for the last five, six, seven years. When I started talking about different conspiracy theories and stuff, I found, to me, the most factual-based conspiracies involved this idea of the occult and their practices of alchemy and ritual magic and luciferianism and channeling entities which you know as we'll go into this topic today we're going to dig a little bit deeper but these books go to the bottom of the pool and to me from my research there's a connection between these intelligence agencies like the CIA and lots of the projects that they've done project stargate mk ultra the stuff we've seen in the men who stare at goats, remote viewing, all that stuff. There's a connection between that and the occultists like Aleister Crowley or John D. and these people that have practiced making connections with entities from another dimension. What I'm trying to say is there's a psychic component to all of this. I believe they're trying to slowly indoctrinate us into this new spirituality. We're witnessing the birth of a new religion, which to me is quite alarming. So what you're saying and kind of just kind of putting in brief for people that don't know about these books is that is that they they meaning Hollywood society the government whoever it may be is kind of starting to wean us into the concept that aliens are real and that there will be some sort of a, a takeover you mentioned a new religion but that would assuming some kind of a, a takeover some kind of involvement in our society with with these extraterrestrial creatures and hollywood knows about this and has been kind of putting this out there for for a while now to get us uh, familiar with this concept is that kind of basically what we're talking about here yes <laughs> and, uh, and there's different flavors of how they do it why they do it one idea like when we talk about hollywood conveying this message to us there's a neuroscientist named Jeffrey Zacks who discussed this concept called cognitive models and the real dummy version, which, you know, a guy like me, I don't understand neuroscience, but the dummies version is these movies, they show us events and things happening. And to our brain, it has to do work. It doesn't necessarily understand that what it's seeing is not real. But our brain does the work to tell us like, oh, there's not really a UFO flying over the city, even though you see it on the TV screen. But in some ways, there's an artifact, a remnant of that, that creates what they call a cognitive model. And buried in the subconscious, there's a belief that, they've, that you've seen this sort of thing. Like I said, this is a very deep and wide rabbit hole. But one of the ideas that I believe in is that they do this because they ultimately want us to subscribe to the belief in aliens so that they can use it for a form of ritual magic to evoke these entities into our world. Hmm. And of course, I'm going out on a limb here. Of course, I don't know this for fact, but when I've, I've read enough books from a lot of people, 
that all, if you look at it through this filter, to me, it's like almost like cracking the code of how all these things fit together and why we're getting, you know, this was, was it 70 years after Roswell, all of a sudden the government comes out and it's like, oh yeah, we've got UFOs. And it's like, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so when you say that that you're, um, and once again, there's, there's a lot to discuss, but, but kind of going back to what you said of starting a new religion, how does that tie in with these otherworldly extraterrestrial creatures? Okay, so one idea, we'll, we'll start with the sort of most rational idea here i interviewed a a woman named uh, dr diana pasalka she's a professor of religious studies out of the university of north carolina she wrote a book called american cosmic which i highly recommend to everyone and she details her experience hanging out with a more or less a secret society an invisible college as they call it of engineers defense contractors people working in the fields of technology and they're quite literally working with UFO artifacts and pieces of like metamaterials. She details her time. They, they blindfolded her, take her out to this place called the sacred site. After she gets to the sacred site, it's revealed. It's a place that a UFO crashed. She saw altars there. She said they do prayers to these things. And the reason why they brought her into the fold on this is because she's a professor of religious studies. She can help them establish this as a new religion. If you read through her book, there's there's anonymous pseudonyms involved, uh, like one guy's name is Tyler, for instance. And a lot of the practices that Tyler does in order to make contact with these entities fit right in line with the occult. And again, no judgment attached to these practices. I actually do some of them myself, but we're talking about meditation and yoga and all these sort of like, like I believe he's like practices vegetarianism. He does all this stuff to purify the mind because to go back to the main thrust of what I'm trying to get across to people is there's a mental component here, a psychic component. Hollywood knows it on some levels because Hollywood is tied into the intelligence agencies, you know, the CIA, like Project Mockingbird, which they've always sort of been embedded with Hollywood. Hollywood knows this. The Pentagon knows this. The CIA knows this. They couldn't come out and tell us all these years what they've been doing because there's such a, a sort of Christian perspective of this country that people wouldn't accept it or tolerate it. And we can talk about the Collins elite, which is a component of this. They were some of the earlier researchers involved with basically saying, hey, we shouldn't be messing with this stuff because we could be bringing demons into our world. Mm. Yeah, the point being, when I say they, we are in fact talking about people in the know and of course it goes into speculation as to who are these people are they are they freemasons are they rosicrucians are they the illuminati are they all the above um or they selected people from each of these groups and and i would believe they're selected people from each of the groups based on what i read in uh, professor pasalka's book what exactly is alchemy and how does that kind of because to me, I always thought that it was some kind of chemistry experiment or something like this. Like an alchemist creates gold or something along those lines. You're correct. Yeah. Okay. So alchemy, you got to go back to ancient Egypt. And back in ancient Egypt, they revered the Nile River because the Nile River, when it would be at you know high tide or whatever you call it, it would produce 
fertile soil for them to grow crops so that they could live. Uh, you know, I mean, we're talking thousands of years ago. Uh-huh. The soil around the Nile River was so black and rich and dense in like the nutrients needed to grow food. This is where the idea of alchemy came from because they, they referred to the black soil. That's what alchem goes back to, this, this soil. And at the same time, they used to speak to the gods. You know, we, we hear about ancient Egyptian different deities and this whole pantheon of Osiris and Horus and Set and Isis and all this stuff. Well, back then, the priests of that culture, they believed they were really talking to the gods. In today's modern society, we look at it as like, oh, they were just hallucinating or making stuff up in their mind. But it's very possible that they were not making it up. But either way, one of their gods, Hermes Trismegistus, a.k.a. Thoth, uh, he was this god of magic. And he supposedly taught the high priests of ancient Egypt how to use this secret knowledge that was handed down all the way to Adam in the Garden of Eden through Lucifer. This is what your early form of alchemy was. Now, this teaching went underground. It passed through secret societies. And it was supposed to be only for those who were deemed worthy to know it. And all of this information passes all the way up through the Enlightenment, the Renaissance, the Middle Ages, with people like Isaac Newton. Isaac Newton was a a scientist. He was a chemist. And that's where the alchemy does play into the chemistry idea. But early scientists, they were occultists. They practiced these weird mixtures of looking at the laws of the natural world combined with the ideas of spirituality and how to speak to things in another dimension, so to speak. And you get into, there's a book called Lords of the Left-Hand Path, and they talk a lot about this idea of talking to the divine, they call it, talking to the gods. And there's different methods and techniques for channeling these things, which is what Tyler does in American Cosmic. But anyhow, alchemy goes through to Isaac Newton, it's on record. He wrote it down that alchemy is not something for the common man and woman. It's only for those deemed worthy to understand it. And I believe that the elites to this day hold that viewpoint because, you know, they look at us as more or less sheep to be used for their ends. But then it comes to this idea of the great work, which is this idea of the enlightenment, because they want to evolve all of mankind so that we are worthy of understanding the techniques of alchemy of how to turn lead into gold how to become immortal Mm. and the great work is a spiritual journey which part of that journey requires contact with the divine with these entities and of course i'm summating lots of ideas from lots of sources to say those kinds of things but alchemy is basically a, a method it's an art and it's all about using techniques of ritual magic This goes into other ideas of destroying and rebuilding, order out of chaos, all these sort of ideas, which I believe is part of this alien thing because they want to usher in this new age. And this new age requires a new spirituality. That spirituality could be coordinated through the understanding of what aliens are. It's interesting when you say those types of things. And obviously in the world we live in for the last year and a half, two years now with, you know, the COVID and whether you take a vaccination, whether you don't, whether you believe in the different variants, whether you don't, there definitely sure is a divide in the country. And it really is a whole different America and different world than it was just two years ago. 
Does that tie in at all with some of these things that you're talking about? You know, it could. It, it very well could. When you research some of the conspiracy theories about, I call it the thing from 2020 that will never go away because there's a lot of censorship involved with talking about it. And, you know, I, I get it, right? There's a lot of, I always tell my people, like, don't look to me for health advice. That's on you to figure that out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but the powers that be, and, I, and when I speak of the powers that be, let me be specific. The World Economic Forum, Klaus Schwab, he's kind of the the leader of this. The World Economic Forum is basically comprised of the thousand richest corporations. They look at things from a globalist perspective. And as a systems engineer myself, I get it, right? You got to have some people looking at problems and issues from a higher level of abstraction from way up. And they're looking at the world as a whole and saying, what are the concerns we have with the entire globe of the future? How can we sort of steer humanity towards more, you know, happy, fulfilled, peaceful world, which sounds great on paper, right? And I've read Klaus Schwab's books. I read a couple of them. And he clearly lays out the roadmap for this new world that we're entering. And this is one of the ideas is that when the pandemic started, you heard all this phrasing immediately about the new normal. And, you know, even uh, President Biden, called, it's called the Build Back Better plan. And there's lots of ideas of creating this new reality and how things will never be the same. And they did this back in 9-11 as well. The same messaging was used back then. Hmm. You know, that's another rabbit hole you can get down. The idea that there was a, a mass ritual event of sorts. But the idea is that things will never be the same again. And when I read Klaus Schwab's book, I don't remember what it was called. Some had COVID-19 in the title. When I read that book, he was talking about how this pandemic will force everyone to reconsider big ideas in their life about their work, about their home, about what they want to do with their free time, their mortality, all this stuff. And he was right. I mean, people want to pretend like these these elites are, are idiots. They're not. I mean, I read his book and I'm like, you know, I think he's exactly right because a lot of people, you know, for instance, the great resignation, a lot of people are quitting their jobs. Right. So he's not wrong. It's like they knew that this would, whatever someone wants to believe about the virus, they knew that this would create this void of mass chaos almost in a way. And, you know, with the 33rd degree of Freemasonry, the, the motto is order out of chaos, order ab chaos. And that's the idea is that regardless of what you want to believe about it, they can take advantage of this, which is why, what, I think it was March 2020 that the Pentagon came out and was like, oh, yeah, by the way, there's UFOs. Right. <laughs> Everyone, in hindsight, you're like, well, the timing on that was crazy. Like, we were kind of busy. Of course. It's, it's almost like it was a smoke screen thrown out there to divert you from everything else that's going on. Yeah. And to me, like, to keep my eye on the prize of, I think they're ultimately going to usher in a new religion President Obama, he made a statement on NPR's Ezra Klein show talking about how new religions will be formed due to the UFO disclosure. Hmm. To answer your question, I think it is a piece of the puzzle for sure. So let's talk about um, something that you just discussed in the past, Project Bluebeam. What exactly is that and, and how important is that to all of, all of the, the theories that you have? Well, this one's interesting. Um, the Project Bluebeam is a conspiracy theory. I did not come up with this, but I did read about it. It's this project, alleged project, I should say, 
where they seek to bring this new age antichrist savior through an uh, a faked alien invasion and this goes back to 94 there was a journalist named serge manast he wrote an article on it i was able to secure a copy of that whole article basically his ideas were that the new world order had this requirement of a new religion you know i don't know if project blue beam is 100 percent accurate but it sure does line up with a lot of what we're seeing the idea is that the new age will require a new spirituality and that spirituality will be what they call ecumenicism it's this idea of diluting down the abrahamic religions and sort of co-opting this idea that well all religions have a little bit of truth to them not just one and again, no judgment assigned to it. I, I'm a Christian, but I struggle with it sometimes. Some of the ideas and the dogmas, I'm kind of like, Ugh, I don't know about this one. But the idea is that you you put enough doubt into the major religions so that you, people will co-opt a, uh, a perennial philosophy, as they call it. But there's ultimately going to be a new god, and that is Lucifer. And NASA supposedly is behind this. There's different steps involved that he claims that there would find this archaeological knowledge that proves we've got alien DNA in our body, which is interesting because since I wrote the book on this, I believe his name is Jack Ramirez. He's a former CIA agent. He's been talking about how he witnessed briefings about human hybrids, and he said it on a, on a podcast that all humans have a bit of alien DNA within our bodies. Hmm. And this is like some dirty secret they don't want us to know. So it is interesting because a lot of these things line up with what Serge Manast was saying. Uh, he talks about psychological preparation through entertainment, using symbolism to prepare the mind for what's about to be told to us because that's, that's a lot to take on. That's a lot to absorb, right? Yeah. But as far as the technology behind there, he basically claims that there's going to be this fake space show in the sky. And at the time, you know, he wrote this in 94. And looking at it today, you could argue that they could, in fact, put on a big space show using technology of drones, augmented reality, virtual reality, whatever you want to call it, different different forms of uh, putting on a... a a more or less glorified version of an alien invasion using holograms and all this stuff. That That's how he says it's going to happen. You know, maybe, right, we're pretty far from that, but technology expands at an exponential rate. And it's just a matter of time before things become so believable that they could, in fact, achieve something like this. So when you say that that the new god will be Lucifer, are we talking about, you mentioned kind of an antichrist, are we talking about the revelations, rapture type stuff here? It's, to the occultist, their perspective is that you've got the devil, right? They believe in the devil, and there's a bad side of the devil called Satan, and a good side of the devil called Lucifer. And Lucifer is the rebellious fallen angel, and he is embodied and this is to the occultist, I, I say, he's embodied by the archetype of Prometheus. And Prometheus in this mythological story steals fire from the gods and gives it to man with the idea that he was going to help man with this form of technology called fire. Well, you look at what's happening with technology today, and it's arguable that 
the occultists who believe in the story of Prometheus say, oh, well, this technology was given to us from the fallen angel Lucifer. And if you read through the literature of the occultists, you can hear how much they adore Lucifer. Uh, Albert Pike, he's a prominent Freemason, 33rd degree Freemason. He wrote in Morals and Dogma that Lucifer's light blinds selfish souls, meaning it's only if you're ready to receive the knowledge and the wisdom from Lucifer that you can transform because the light of Lucifer is so bright, the knowledge is so intense, which is exactly what the alchemical ideas that Isaac Newton, when he said only those who are worthy of understanding can can really understand it. Hmm. Helena Blavatsky says that Satan in reality is the highest divine spirit. He is the occult wisdom on earth. Carl Jung, he said that he'd rather be whole than good. And he has this whole talk about embracing evil. It goes on and on. This idea that when you get to the the end of the road of all these occult teachings and philosophies, you find this Gnostic belief system, which is basically an inversion of the reality we come to know where we say, oh, you know, God made man and made the earth and God's good and Satan's bad and Satan just wants to take our souls and go to hell forever. Well, the Gnostics think it's the other way around. They think that the God who created us is a false, evil God. And that God, he goes by the name of Yaldabaoth. That God is really the rotten one. That God created us to worship him and to be subservient because he's such a psychopath and a narcissist that he's the worst one. And Lucifer, Satan, is really the good guy. He's the one trying to wake us up to this truth. (laughs) You know what I mean? Right. And you see this Gnostic symbolism in in a ton of movies. It's, you know, Alice in Wonderland is one of my favorite stories of all time, but that's got a Gnostic tinge to it. It's this idea of flipping reality on its head and taking a second look at what they believe to be the truth. Something else, too, and I've heard this a few times, and maybe you can expand upon this a bit, talking about how 5G... And we're talking about the 5G that's on your phone, the, uh, the the network, has somehow become one of the signs of the apocalypse and uh, one of the things that's going to destroy the, the free world. I don't know if that's how, how true that is or not, but I know there's a lot of people who are very anti-5G, and you did mention it in the book as well. I'm casual anti 5G. My <laughs> wife has a 5G phone, and I don't I don't have one yet. But I'm just like, well, I don't know, whatever. Can't live forever, right? <laughs> so the ideas of 5G. Okay, so if you look at the history of technology and the telephone speeds at which we transfer data rates, there was a exponential change when we went from 2G to 3G, and that's what basically is what gave us apps on our phone. If people remember phones before you had apps on them, think about how much different that experience was. Well, 3G to 4G was supposed to be the same, but they actually never got to the speeds they advertised. That's why they call it LTE, because it's not actually 4G. Right. So 5G, on the other hand, is this like double exponential leap in technology. And right now, it doesn't seem like it's that different. But what they want to do And what they advertise is what they call the Internet of Things, meaning every product you buy will be connected to the Internet through the 5G. The idea is that you get enough materials connected up on the Internet, you can effectively control these things. 
And this plays into the Project Bluebeam idea of maybe not today, but 10 years down the road, you get enough devices to overwhelm and convince your five senses that you're seeing something and you just might be seeing that thing. So it's kind of more or less another idea of taking technology and using it to change our viewpoint of the world, which is, you know, I talked about transhumanism for a long time, and that's the idea of the digital matrix. Here comes Facebook with the metaverse, and this thing's taken off like crazy. You know, you can't get away from it now. Right. I don't know how much or how soon it's going to really take over and become the new reality, but I, I already know like that's where we're headed. That's what they want is for us to live in the metaverse because to me, that's ultimate control. People are worried about getting canceled off of Twitter. Well, imagine if your whole life and, and existence is in the metaverse. Of course, you can be canceled if you do not comply. And explain quickly what exactly the metaverse is. Oh, yeah. So uh, the metaverse, old uh, Mark Zucchiniberg there, come out and gave this big, <laughs> long speech recently. They rebranded Facebook to Meta. I'm sure it had something to do with the trouble they were getting in at the time, but whatever. And he advertises this metaverse where basically if you've ever seen the film surrogates with Bruce Willis, that's the reality they're, they're kind of advertising where you wake up in your, your, your coffin apartment, you put on your, your VR goggles, you tap into the digital world and you walk around as this avatar of however you want to look, whoever you want to be, you do your work, your meetings, Maybe you you go to the virtual bar afterwards or whatever, and at some point you can take your VR goggles off and you live in the real world. But in the like the movie Surrogate shows us, Bruce Willis would go into the their version of the metaverse and do what he had to do and then come out. But his wife would stay in the metaverse because she became addicted to the attention she could get in there because you can be anyone you want, anything you want. They're slowly warming us up to this idea, which again, very enticing. I'm not, I'm not here to say I'm above it, but it's kind of like logging into your phone in the morning to check social media, except on a much deeper level. And that's what the metaverse promises to be. And they're already, you know, Nike selling NFTs of shoes you can wear in the metaverse. It's hard to keep up with it. It's a whole, it's a whole topic of its own to talk about the metaverse and all of the facets they're going to come with that new world that they're creating it's amazing when you think about it just how the whole world like you said has become so virtual to where you can actually see something like this actually happening you know what i mean where it's like yeah it makes sense i mean i can see people living completely in their own heads and that's their new reality yeah and and to be fair uh, I work a day job. I, I still hold down my uh, cubicle, you know, and uh, for the last two years, I've been on telework and I love it. I'd never want to go back into an office as long as I live. So in some ways, like just like Klaus Schwab was saying, it's going to really make you reassess your life. And I think, man, I really don't want to ever go back in the office. It's nice. I'm home with my dogs. I can let them out. I can do whatever I want. Go, you know, go work out on my lunch break. But it also too, it really does kind of like when we let our guard down and if you are on the side of, of the conspiracies, okay, let's put out a pandemic. Let's put more government control going, stay at home. Don't go out, stay isolated. It kind of seems like a perfect time to ingratiate this new theory of this extraterrestrial involvement or the 
new religion or the new world order or whatever you might see. You can't deny that there's a lot of strange things happening that all seem to be working towards something. And what that something is, we don't know, but this could be it. Definitely. I used to say if I ever got a time machine, I would do two things. One, I would go back to see if Jesus was the real deal. But two, I would go to the 60s because it was such a turbulent, crazy time. Like, what a weird time to be alive. But now I'm kind of like, I think we're living in just as a weird of a time. Right. And you're right. All those, all these things could, in fact, fit into an ultimate game plan. You know, for instance, with the day job thing, if my work said, okay, you got two options. One, you could strap on the VR goggles and you could stay home and just show up to your meetings and do your thing from the VR goggles or you come into the office. I'm, give me the VR goggles. I don't want to go in anymore. So you add in the idea of a lot of, maybe not a lot of people, but some people out there are so terrified of the virus and all kinds of stuff now, that would be very enticing for them to say, oh, cool, I never really have to leave my house. Like, I want to do that, which I personally wouldn't subscribe to. Well, absolutely. You know, and if you're talking about putting down, you know, the fear factor and the fear mongering, you know, when you're mentioning kind of this antichrist type figure, if someone came on and said, it's okay, I've got the answers, follow me, it sure would make it a lot easier to amass I don't know if army is the proper word, but to amass a, a sizable fan base by just knowing the answer. Yeah. And, and I think that when you look at this sort of revelation of the method, as they call it, the occultists have always been into contact with higher powers for knowledge. That's always been their aim. That's what the ritual magicians do when they draw a circle and stand within it and then conjure up an entity, a demon, an angel into a triangle, they're trying to, to gain power or knowledge from that entity, from that being. Right. Ultimately that could be what we're witnessing is this, this desire for this forbidden knowledge, because it's possible that the CIA or whoever, the Pentagon, they've been trying to ascertain this secret knowledge for a long time. If you read or study any of Bob Lazar's ideas, you know, he talks about this kind of stuff, how they, they want to reverse engineer uh, an anti-gravity device, but they can't quite figure it out. You know, from the Pentagon, they think, look, we need national security. We have to unlock these secrets before the enemy, you know, states can unlock these secrets at any cost, by any means necessary. We need to figure this out. When you hear from people like Lou Elizondo if you catch his interviews, he said more than a couple times that people he was working with were worried that doing what they were doing to get this information, they were going to channel demons and bring Satan into our world. And when he says it, the, the interviewers, they'll laugh, hmm. but the reality is much darker. If you, if you read about the Collins elite, they've been warning us for a long time about this. And now those people, their influence is basically gone. And you've got this desire to make contact with these things. Let's talk a little bit about, uh, as, as you put them in the book, the technopaths, talking about kind of the technological giants in Bill Gates, uh, Elon Musk, and what they're attempting to do with all of this technology. And we can see on a daily basis just how much influence both of these guys have and how it increases every day yeah it gets into this idea that they seem to think science is the end-all be-all 
mm-hmm. they uh, they think that they can do a thing called transhumanism where they can evolve man's limitations to a greater sort of being. Now, for a while there, we kind of thought it was going to be, at least Ray Kurzweil would say this stuff. He would say they're going to augment our bodies and give us artificial limbs that were better. They were going to bring sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf, that kind of thing, which all, again, all sounds great. I support that. Yeah. But ultimately, the slippery slope goes to this perfected being, this immortal being, which a lot of theories exist that they want to upload our souls. They want to upload our consciousness or digitize the consciousness. That's the argument. You, you know, if you've ever seen the Matrix movies, that's kind of more or less what they sure what they could want to do is put our bodies in a, a, a goo pod and plug us in. Ultimately, you could you could be immortal living in this digital metaverse forever. And people like Elon Musk, they're creating the the Neuralink brain cap that will connect to the mind and and you get into a lot of deep philosophy here, uh, like brain in a vat. Uh, philosophy where if you tied enough signals and sensors into the brain you wouldn't be able to know if you're being deceived or not that's what Rene Descartes was worried about when he was trying to come up with the ideas of the scientific method and scientific observation he was trying to strip down to get rid of all biases he ultimately came down to the idea that the only thing I know for fact is that I can think and if I think, therefore I am. Right, of course. Everything else, everything comes to the senses is completely manipulatable and and subjective. These people think that science will ultimately pave way to what they call the philosopher's stone in alchemy. Science will give us the ability to become immortal. You know, my forte is always looking at entertainment for different themes that you find in the occult belief system. And I read all of the 2001 A Space Odyssey books. Uh, it goes 2001, 2010, 2061, I believe, and then 3001, the final Odyssey. And when you read that arc of books, you find several things, uh, one of which is that they blow up a planet to make a sun brighter than our sun, and they name it Lucifer. Mm. Go figure. Ultimately, the characters... They become like the alien intelligence that gave us the monolith. The alien intelligence that gave us the monolith is a form of digital consciousness that is just streaming bits of data flying through the universe for eternity. I mean, it sounds insane, but like that's kind of where they would want to take us, I think. Well, a lot of this sounds insane, of course. (laughs) (laughs) Just one last thing for Elon Musk, for example, with all the technologies that he is advancing. Is he on the side of good or is he on the side of the other team i guess you'd say oh he's he's a hard one to read i couldn't tell you you know i I started doing a a formal research project on elon musk his background's a little strange Uh, i know his mother was a model and she was working with beyonce and they would spend their summers something about they would spend their summers traveling around the deserts looking for some kind of lost artifact for his dad he has a bizarre story uh, right i, I got to read a couple of his books but yeah I, don't, I couldn't tell you i i don't know me personally i'm always very weary about following science too hard i think science is a tool i think science is a method 
I don't think it has the answers to everything, especially not spirituality and what it means to be human. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, really, I'm really hard on the scientist, even though I studied science for eight years in college. Well, let's go into some of the uh, examples. We mentioned Hollywood earlier on and some of the movies and ideas and thoughts that we've seen that are kind of going to um, help us accept this alien, I don't know if invasion is the right word, but, but ingratiation, if you will. Because you do have a list, and let's go through some of them. So if you're talking about the original E.T., the extraterrestrial, how did that kind of uh, give us insight to what's about to come? In my second book, Aliens, UFOs, and the Call It Usual Illusion 2, I go through uh, various films, and I, I talk about the symbolism that we find within those, those movies. Right. You know, it's interesting because in that story, E.T. and Elliot, there's a play on the names there. Elliot, of course, begins and ends with the E.T. Oh. And at, you know, plot spoilers, but I don't know who's had seen E.T., but E.T., <laughs> at the end, he goes again on his ship and go home. And he points to Elliot's head and he says, I'll be right here. And what I interpret that as is saying that there's a mental connection, which is, again, the whole point of my first book. There's a psychic mental component to this whole thing. Another idea that you see in a lot of these movies, uh, E.T. especially, they'll have what they call the CDs, these superpowers that some of these aliens have. And for this one, E.T. is levitating. He levitates the bicycle, which right. yeah, yeah. the infamous moon, he does it past the moon, but he also does it past the sun. Which ties us into that Carl Jung reconciliation of opposites we we briefly covered earlier, where there's these polar opposites, and that was arguably what the moon landing was about too. You had the Apollo obelisk phallus penetrating the moon goddess. There's all these these weird ideas around around these reconciliation of opposing forces. There's this whole idea of the mental connection between aliens and man in ET. At the end. One of the, the federal agents, he says that, if you listen, he says he manifested E.T. into our world because he was wishing that to manifest this since he was 10 years old. Hmm. There's always subtle messages in there that if you didn't look at it through this filter, I, don't, I honestly don't think you would pick up on it, really. I think you're right. Millions of people watched the movie and did not pick up on it. Um, let's see what else we got. How about um, Flight of the Navigator? That was an interesting movie. That one gets kind of dark. Yeah. That goes into uh, some strange territories. There's, okay, I'm going to be very careful the way I word this so I don't get you banned. There's a, <laughs> a theme of child abuse in the movie from what I, what I gather. You know, the, the boy, David, he gets this UFO abduction sort of thing or, or where it knocks him out and he, and he comes to, and he's in the future now. And they thought he was dead. Mm-hmm. And that's, of course, a death-rebirth ritual of the occult, which you see often in a lot of movies, is that the protagonist has to die and be reborn into the new, the new world, the new way of thinking. There's a, a doctor at NASA who, he shows up and he's like, look, I'm going to take your, I don't remember how old he was, 12 or something. He's like, look, I'm going to take your 12-year-old boy. We're going to take him to the NASA science lab here uh, for 48 hours. And you don't get to go with him. You don't get a phone call. And they go along with it for whatever reason. He shows up in his room and it's very groomer-like. They've got all the latest, greatest toys and gifts and stuff out for him. The reason they're doing it is because they end up hooking up his mind 
and sort of downloading information from his mind that the, the UFO had apparently put in there. And it's a map to this home planet of Phalion, which is very similar to the word phallus. Okay. Like granted we could be stretching there, but uh, when, when you look at all of the stuff that goes on in this movie, what's alarming is he breaks out of his room. He goes and finds the UFO craft and its name is Max. And Max is voiced by none other than Pee Wee Herman, who himself, <laughs> and I'm a huge Pee Wee Herman fan, okay? But Pee Wee Herman got into some trouble for very bad stuff. Right. But the ship, when the stairs drop down, you see a spiral triangle symbol, which a lot of people who were familiar, th- this was a hot topic in 2020, and even before that with some various emails that had leaked out, but... Uh, in 2020, a lot of people in the the movement that looked into Wayfair and all that stuff, they were talking about these FBI memos with these symbols. And sure enough, you see the symbol on the UFO craft in this movie that Max picks up David and, and takes him around. And uh, then the last disturbing link I'll throw on here is that in the very sort of end scene, David and Max are flying around and they stop to ask directions at this car. It's kind of a real sticky, goofy scene. And you hear a song playing, and that song is A Man Inside My Mouth by The Cure, which is a song about exactly what you think it's about. Right. And it's like, yo, why do they put all this stuff in this movie? I actually hadn't seen that one growing up. I watched it trying to research for this book. I don't know. What's the connection here? I, I don't know. All I can do is speculate, and I'll say this one thing. If you watch the War of the Worlds remake on Epics, Again, plot spoilers, but at the end, you find that the alien that comes to Earth to you know wreak havoc, they're holding babies in these, uh, I don't know if you call them incubators, or, or they look like fish tanks or something, and they're sort of feeding blood, is what it looks like, into the alien. When you look at all those leaked emails and all this stuff, there's this weird thread, and I, I talk about it in the books because I can't ignore it. Now, do I think that's definitively happening? I definitely don't know. I mean, that seems like a stretch. That's as much of a stretch as the idea of shape-shifting reptile people. But ultimately, I shape-shifting reptile people, they're in my field of vision. Like, maybe, you know, maybe. How about the uh, the adventures of Shark Boy and Lava Girl? That's a good one for showing us what it looks like to manifest things into our reality. Mm-hmm. The story is about it's, and it it was written by, or directed by Robert Rodriguez, who was doing Spy Kids, and I guess Machete was a spinoff character from Spy Kids. I didn't know that, but yeah, it's true. Yeah, <laughs> the uh, the idea is about projecting human consciousness, and that's what you you basically see throughout the whole story, and you can even see bits of Helena Blavatsky's theosophy in there like mm-hmm. like Blavatsky and Crowley and the, the Nazis they all went to try to find again this idea of trying to locate and find the hidden wisdom and they went to uh, Tibet and Shambhala to try to talk to these ascended masters you know there's a person named Alexandria David Neal and she went to Tibet and she wrote a whole journal about how when she went to Tibet she saw these ascended masters performing really uh, cds yeah like levitating you know you know how um the autobiography of a yogi yogananda 
Yeah. He talks about how he could like go through walls and stuff. And it's written like very factual. Like he's not making it up. The CDs are these superpowers. And while she was also there, she witnessed this idea of tulpas is what they're called. And tulpas are what they believe to be mentally manifested entities. Hmm. Just another idea to sort of toss into this whole argument of aliens being manifested through our mind, through a psychic connection. And then the last one we'll discuss uh, of some of the ones you had in here is John Carpenter's uh, Apocalypse Trilogy, talking about the thing, the Prince of Darkness and in the Mouth of Madness. That's interesting to me. You know, those are uh, some of my, my favorite movies of all time. Yes. There's this whole concept that John Carpenter presents over these three films about the annihilation of self and the great reset of humanity, sort of, right? Which is kind of what, you know, you could argue we're going through now. But each character basically gets annihilated, and uh, nihilism is a the idea that God is dead. That's what Friedrich Nietzsche was talking about. He's like, there's, there's only truth and science, and God is dead. This idea of sort of rejecting all the things that this world has, that's kind of what you see in these movies. And you have bits of a- ancient aliens in there, in The Thing, talking about this UFO crashing 100,000 years ago. A little bit of H.P. Lovecraft, maybe even. Now, what's curious is that Bob Lazar talked about how the UFO he was working on was buried in Antarctica, the one he was working on, the anti-gravity device. So that's very interesting. And then Prince of Darkness, this one hits it more on the head. It's more about manifesting the Antichrist in the basement of a church. There's this brotherhood of sleep, they're called. It's, It's a priesthood. Uh, and they have the the vow of silence. They have this goo, this green goo, this chamber that holds the Antichrist in the in the basement. Right. They manifest different ideas through the computer. Again, through science, they take a class full of science students. They basically go to this church, and all hell breaks loose because this satanic goo starts possessing people's bodies. Right. And then before it's over, uh, one of the characters gets pulled through to the other dimension through the other side which is again a concept we see over and over with this idea of a different dimension of reality so i guess as we start to wind down here (laughs) what does it all mean isaac what is the overall i guess kind of end game for you and for what you've kind of figured out after doing all this research and writing both of these books on these subjects it's hard to say. I, I wish I had better advice, I guess. For me, it really makes me question spirituality, the nature of reality, and all these things. But it's also maddening at the same time because, you know, there's really no way of knowing for sure what the true sort of faith should be. I find myself leaning towards my Christian roots. But at the same time, I see a lot of issues, and I've, I've read a lot about recently about Buddhism. There's a thing called Christ consciousness. I'm an Orthodox Christian, and it's like a very sort of old-school, traditional Christian viewpoint. There's a guy, Father Seraphim Rose, who wrote a whole book about the alien invasion and how it's going to be a Luciferian sort of takeover, which I, again, highly recommend that one. But 
he more or less is of the camp that, no, you entertain any kind of other spirituality, it's all a path to hell. Hmm. So it's kind of a tough spot to be in because I want to keep an open mind. But like Carl Sagan said, you know, keep an open mind, but don't let your brains fall out. <laughs> it's hard to know. I mean, it really is. It's really difficult. Well, so why would they say that, though, that all uh, – what was that quote you just said, that all all – all roads lead to hell or whatever it was. Yeah. Father Rose, he's of the camp. He's a monk or he was a monk. And he was of the camp that if you're not an Orthodox Christian, that you're adhering to a false teaching. Mm, gotcha. I mean, he was very hardcore about it. I, I'm not God. I clearly don't know what, and this is where I have a problem is I have a hard time believing that a God who loves us would condemn us to hell for something that we think we're doing the right thing. I think George Carlin had a really good bit about God. You know, he's like, says, well, don't do this or you go to hell. Don't do that. You go to hell. But don't forget, I love you. You know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I don't know. I wish I could be a, a, a better source of what to do with this information right now. I'm just sort of compiling it and presenting it and, you know, letting people make their own path of what they want to do with it. Do you think that some of this stuff will start becoming more apparent sooner than later? Or is it a long term type of a plan? If I was to put a timeline on it, I'd say five to 10 years, no later than another 20 years, because hmm. 2045 is when we hit the singularity. That is when technology and artificial intelligence will surpass man's intelligence. And I believe by then we are going to be in for a real problem. So how do you know that, that that's the date for the singularity? Uh, so Ray Kurzweil, he's written several books on this topic. And using Moore's law, which says that the number of transistors you can fit on a chip doubles every two years, the ideas presented of quantum computing, they've kept it pretty much on track from what I understand, according to this exponential curve. And, you know, we, we kind of all experience, I don't know if you ever get into cryptos, but man, yeah, I'm starting to feel really old when I try to figure out how to do some of this stuff. I think, oh boy. <laughs> I'm, I'm working with it right now, as a matter of fact, <laughs> with cryptos and NFTs and that sort of thing. You know, it, it's it's amazing to me. I remember, gosh, this was before the new millennium, so probably 98. Uh, I used to listen to Art Bell and Coast to Coast Radio constantly. You've been on for uh, After Dark and on Dark Matter and all that sort of stuff, you know, with kind of the uh, legacy of Art Lives On. But he was talking about how the theories were that very soon in the instant, uh, in the near future, you would have a device that could have every movie and every song and every TV show ever on a device that's the palm of your hand. And this is back when still, if you went on an airplane, you would take a box of CDs with you and your DVDs with you. And lo and behold, Art was right as we look at our cell phones not even 20 odd years later. So it doesn't surprise me when you say 20 years from now that the, the uh, computer intelligence will outweigh man's intelligence. And like you said, that's where the problems start. Yeah, definitely. And uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey, they had iPads on there. You know, that was back in 68. Yeah. And, you know, Arthur C. Clarke, who he wrote that whole sequence of Space Odyssey books. When you look at the scientists and what they end up creating like for instance Werner von braun jack parsons they grew up reading comic books the pulp magazines talking about how the, these cartoons about man getting to the moon and that's what inspired them and they said you know what we're going to do this in real life 
And a lot, so a lot of times when you, we watch these science fiction movies, you got to understand that's motivating some of these scientists out there, (laughs) you know? So like the the matrix that influenced some 10 year old back in 1999, who's now 30 writing the code (laughs) to put us in the metaverse. You know, when I uh, met George Lucas years ago and I said, does it blow your mind that the things that you basically created in your movies are now coming true? And he said, the things that I created in my movies, I read about in comic books 30 years prior to that. Wow. No kidding. To think about it. You know, it's like the stuff that he read in comic books is what he manifested into his movies. That is now those movies are now coming to life. So it's very interesting when you think about all, all of this and some of it, I believe a thousand percent, some of it, you never know what's going to happen, but either way, it's some very interesting food for thought and very well-researched and, and well-written by you, Isaac. Thank you. Appreciate it, man. That's a, that's a big compliment coming from you. Thank you. Well, I'm sure uh, in six to eight months, we'll have some something else to discuss uh, <laughs> along all this stuff. Unfortunately, we will. <laughs> exactly. Well, it's always great to have you, man. And uh, like I said, uh, it's very much something to think about. Very terrifying in a lot of ways as well, but something we should all keep, keep our minds open to because you never know when it's going to sneak up on us. Most definitely, man. Yeah, that's kind of all I, I petition for is understand that this could be a possible scenario. Do the right thing for you and your family. That's kind of what I leave people with because I, I certainly didn't get into this to be a life coach or for people to follow me and all that kind of stuff because everyone's got their own life to live. Right. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate it. And we'll talk to you again. Uh, talk to you again soon. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you.